0: Hi everybody, welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender.
1: And my name is Todd Micah. I'm the author of Tales from Grimguard, an anthology of dark fantasy, as well as the Grimguard role-playing game. And I had never watched Avatar. Until now. We've been going through the episodes of Avatar, and today we are landing on Season 2, Episode 5, Avatar Day the episode was written by John O'Brien directed by Lauren McMullen who we've discussed a few times uh for her excellent episode writing um she did I believe uh the wasn't the siege of the north part one that that she did uh as well as uh the spirit world part one Mm
0: -hmm. and the southern air temple I believe
1: and the southern air temple yes we love to see it uh the episode is animated by DR movie and it was. And the episode aired on April 28th, 2006. The IMDb rating is 7.4 out of 10. Why are you laughing? (laughs) It's
0: just, oh man, it's just, that. I mean, not that that's the lowest ranking, but that's pretty low for Avatar. (laughs) Like, especially when you compare it, like, I won't tell you what it is, but for the next episode, the ranking (laughs) is so low. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, there's there's a bit of a gulf between these two episodes, which we'll get into a little bit more, but take us away with our fun facts.
0: All right. There weren't a ton for this one, but uh, when playing detective, Sokka dons an unusual hat and smokes from an ornate bubble pipe. (laughs) Sherlock Holmes, a detective created by Arthur Conan Doyle, was often portrayed in magazine illustrations wearing an unusual deer stalker hat and smoking a curved pipe.
1: So, so I I, yeah, I yeah. love I I love I love this Sherlock Holmes reference because I you don't know it and you guys won't be able to see it I just so happen to own the complete collection hey! of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes like look at the look at the thickness of this book
0: yeah no literally I mean you know this about me but I am a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes anything Sherlock Holmes um and I also have. The complete set of the sherlock holmes stories by arthur conan doyle just not that kind of book it's a different one a leather bound from barnes and noble and i love it um so i really appreciate that they made an, a very very blatant nod to sherlock holmes in this series
1: <laughs> i'd love it
0: because i have, i just have a thing for smart characters in general so like if your character is super smart and like out of the box thinker like i'm generally gonna love them and like Sherlock Holmes is kind of the smart character, you know? Uh,
1: I always wondered what you liked so much about me. <laughs> yes.
0: Um, so uh, so yeah, uh, next fun fact. Even though Kiyoshi confesses, in the flashback it shows that she did not actually kill Chin, the Conqueror. She merely caused the conditions which led him to falling off the cliff to his death. Which, even as a kid, I was like... She didn't kill the guy. Like, why is she putting this on Aang? <laughs> like, yeah, I
1: started... killed him, which is kind of like, I, 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 I built a house, and then right. he like jumped out the window. Like, that's that's not you didn't kill the person, you know?
0: Right. Um, not that I I fully believe that she would have, but she did not actually. <laughs> In
1: mean, he deserved it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, And then our final fun fact, this actually, I I found this fun fact not by looking on the trivia site or anything like that for Avatar, but there was in the comments of the Avatar wiki, someone mentioned this, and I thought it was very fascinating, that Avatar Day is based on the Hindu holiday Dishra, Dishra, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, where people burn a giant effigy of Ravana, the demon lord, as a symbol of victory of good over evil. So... Like it's they drew inspiration from this uh, Hindu holiday, which I'm not going to try to say again. (laughs) Um, And uh, I think that that's really cool that like there's that no matter what, they always draw from different uh, Asian, you know, experiences, basically, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is really, really cool.
1: Yeah, no, the cultural awareness and and the diversity that Avatar as a universe welcomes in. I mean, we've seen everything from, you know, the, the spirituality of the martial arts, um, to the to the art and the the clothing styles of various cultures across Asia being you know welcomed and brought in. Um, we see the naming the naming you know coming from various languages across Asia and it's it, it it's awesome. It really is awesome. You know Avatar is a really a really great you know for being a completely Western made show. You know it, it is a great uh honor that it extends to the to the asian cultures all kinds
0: <laughs> zuko just cringed <laughs> honor <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes zuko can we just take for a second and jump in on that on zuko because this episode brings us back to zuko and iroh in a in a really major way it takes where we saw zuko last claiming his his dual swords again and donning the blue spirit mask except my boy is has turned to a life of crime here
0: (laughs) yep
1: (laughs) like like he just literally goes and attacks the farmers in the streets and he's just like give me your stuff and just takes it all just loads of the baskets and just off he goes and then later on he just robs this guy of his chest of gold Right there, broad mm. daylight. I love the he also robs him in broad daylight too. Like he just—he <laughs> doesn't even wait until it's like night or something like that. He's just like, oh yeah, I don't care who's gonna stop me, filthy dirt <laughs> he goes nation. Up
0: in the morning and shows violence.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah, no, it's uh, it's an interesting phase he is going through, and I use interesting in the most charitable of terms watching him really. He's really dragging. He's really dragging right now. He kind of hurts.
0: Oh, oh, just wait. Just wait. <laughs> That's all I can say about that. Like he he's at a a pretty morally low point right now. You know, like i like you said, he is stealing from people in broad daylight. Um, and he is not really taking any responsibility for his actions. I was trying to tell him like you don't have to do this, and he continues to do it. Um, and yeah, that's that's going to play a big part in future episodes, especially I think the next batch of episodes that we were that we record are going to be those episodes that kind of delve into him. Mm. Um, and uh, we get to learn so much more about him and it it really helps to inform all of what he's going through right now. Um but uh I believe that and I, I should have written it down, I never write anything down. Um there's me with Iro- like,
1: a whole book of notes on everything. Oh
0: I know, I know. <laughs> but because I've seen the episodes so many times, like I don't really need to, like I basically have the episodes memorized, but um I love uh Iro's line when Zuko is just like, you know, oh well then there's no hope and of course he's just being all emo and edgy and yeah did you write it down
1: i did i wrote it down in darkest time hope is something you give yourself
0: that is the meaning of inner strength that shit hits so hard especially as someone that's you know a young 24 year old just trying to get through life right now and it's been very rough the past couple months as you know um
1: should i be tra- checking your dresser drawer for a blue mask and a pair of swords just let us know are you okay
0: I wish I was that cool (laughs) Um, (laughs) I wish I had a cool badass alter ego um but yeah no like seriously the line it has always stuck with me but especially now it hits even harder because yeah sometimes all you can do is just have hope and like hope that things will be better and you know not give in to despair and grief and all that like it's just because that's not gonna help anything. And I think that that's a lesson that Zuko desperately needs to learn and will learn along his path because, you know, he's just so angry and so angsty and so just like self-loathing all the time and he needs to like stop <laughs> because it's not helping him. And uh, I think that that's something that he learns um, once he's off on his own without Iroh because that's, that's his path for uh, a large chunk of the middle of uh, season two, so. Yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting, but I do love that line a lot.
1: Yeah, no. And, and, you know, lingering on that we've talked at, at, at times at length about the lessons that avatar puts out there. And the reason I wanted to emphasize the Iro and, and Zuko part of this episode is because, you know, it is, you know, it is really true. When you are going through a hard time, a darkest time, sometimes where you find yourself looking in the mirror and not knowing yourself, where where you have those times where you've been driven to things that you a year or a few years ago would have been like, "How did I get here?" I don't, you know, you don't even know yourself. The hope that you give yourself really has to be there. It has to be something that you look forward to. Things being different. And even if you can to give yourself that, you have to consider Uncle Iroh that there's, there's a, that there's a gracefulness that, that an honor that he sees that you're able to have even a position of poverty and homelessness, like they, like they have to, to still stay true to yourself and realize that you're still the same person. You're just going through a hard time and like Uncle Iroh can sit on a battleship hunting for the Avatar, and find his own peace with the simple, the simple joys of great tea and good songs and games with the crewmates and bonding time with his nephew. I think when life gets very basic, it gets very simple. And unlike Zuko, who longs for you know lavish luxuries and comforts, and I think i think if i can project so much onto the character i think zuko struggles a lot with the insecurity of like that 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 he's not going to know where he's sleeping that night or that he's not sure if he's going to have food and that is just beyond his breaking point he's just not okay because his mind is so off on so many other things that he needs those basic necessities catered to him and when he's missing them that knocks his legs out from underneath him uncle iroh can be okay with it and appreciate the simplicities appreciate and find even a sort of a a romance and and a hidden honor in the you know the way he took uh, a, a sort of a sense of pride in, in the way he he uh, performed for the guy offering him the coin when they were you know when they were begging for money he appreciated mm-hmm. the challenge of it he found fun in it and for zuko he's just stressed out there's like an embrace of the simplicity that sometimes you got to take in life
0: yeah absolutely and that again not to not to uh, spoil anything but that is something that um Zuko later this season kind of has to come to terms with like yeah they are refugees at this point and they are you know kind of poverty stricken because they have nothing where they are and you know they've been banished they're being hunted like they so he has to kind of get used to the idea of yeah this is kind of where I am right now and I may not like it but at least I you know can accept it you know um but uh, yeah, we just got really deep into.
1: I mean, I've, I've been, I know you, I've been starred for some Zuko Ira stuff this season <laughs> ever since like the first episode or two.
0: Oh yeah. They're they're very sparingly used in the first half of the season, but they become a much bigger presence in the second half, which I think is when the season like truly is like Mwah, chef's kiss yeah. perfection. So want to talk about the main story now? <laughs> or did you have? More
1: do we story? have to? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we do
1: yeah i guess we should um the episode was definitely not what i was expecting um but so like to kind of take us through it you know they 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 go to the place where avatar day uh is is hyped that it's it's the big event going on and uh it turns out that it is not a uh burning effigy to ravana the demon lord as a symbol of victory of good over evil no it's just literally a giant hate crime against the avatar just right there <laughs> yeah
0: it's uh i did I do like kind of the subversiveness of that, though. Like, you know, they're reeling out these giant papier-mâché statues of Avatar Kyoshi, Roku, and Aang. And Aang is like, wow, like, that's the biggest me I've ever seen. And they're, like, super impressed by these, you know, giant statues. And they've got a guy running in with a torch. And even Sokka's like, a torch? That's a nice touch. And then he just runs right through I think it's Aang's statue and it just catches on fire and you're like wait it's I uh,
1: think it, I think it's uh I think it's Yoshi is that he runs through first he's like bursts through the torso with like, the the torch in oh, his hand. Oh wait no he,
0: he throws the uh the torch into Aang's eye that's what he does. Yes. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> so you're just like, "Oh, this is not what I thought this was going to be." Kind of like what you said.
1: Is, uh, is this so episode aimed at critics of the series? Like, you know, I are mean, this...
0: Honestly, I think it's just a fun little subversive kind of you know thing. But uh, yeah, no, I. It's so funny because as I was rewatching this episode, I was kind of struck by a realization because I always thought that this episode was in season one. This feels like a season one episode, doesn't it?
1: It kind of does. It kind of really does. Is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of got like, yeah, it's kind of got like King Boomy vibes to the whole thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it just because this is the one episode this entire season that I would consider filler. Like it does not propel the story forward. It doesn't, you know, introduce anything new about the characters in the immediate story. Um, well
1: well like... we, we we do get a big propulsion through which i know that you'll agree which is that we get a lot of insight into avatar kyoshi because we get oh. actual flashback of everything but you know the people of of the city chin are i love how their city is just named chin in in like in honor of this basically there's a genghis khan type character and you know obviously he's from the dirt kingdom why wouldn't he be and so (laughs) and so i mean then these people are like super offended that their great leader died because kiyoshi killed him i mean you could say you could say that they took it right on the chin (laughs) that's bad (laughs) (laughs) terrible um but you know but it is interesting to have that big flashback sequence and and see her side of the story but also you see ang like avatar um manifest the Avatar, the same way as he manifested Roku when he was on the Fire Nation Island there at the at the shrine of, of Roku. Um but here he manifests Kyoshi for the first time. And like you said, she's awesome. She literally split an island off of a continent and was like, see you later. I'm gonna go sail this actual tectonic plate out into the ocean like a raft. Bye now. <laughs>
0: I always have this image in my head I wish that an avatar artist would make this but like as she's blowing you know because she, she's using her fans she's blowing the island away from the mainland and I would just love if she was just like as she's getting further away she's just like fuck off <laughs> <laughs> really just <laughs> the bird as it falls to his death she, she
1: just holds up her middle fans at the uh, at, yeah. at, at chin on her way away Yeah. Yes. yeah
0: she is there's a reason that she's a fan favorite and this is honestly one of her fan
1: favorite. Very good. good. No more
0: puns for you. Yeah, no, she is. She is a fan favorite. Um, and it's funny because this is basically her biggest appearance. Like she makes one other, I guess you could say cameo appearance, um, much, much later in the season, literally in the finale. And that's about it. Like we have so little to go off of, and yet she makes such an impression um you know obviously she's got the connection to the Kyoshi warriors and the island and everything but like as a character she only makes two major appearances and that's it and but yet that spawned a huge fan base and i believe two or three books at this point um yeah all detailing about her backstory and her time as the avatar and so yeah it's it's crazy and
1: i love how when it's when it's avatar roku there's like this big channeling of him like in his shrine and everything but when it's avatar kiyoshi all he has to do is dress in drag and have her name slurred and she's like let me in there i need to straighten this out like he didn't there was no effort zero effort on aang's part she's just like all right step aside kid i need to straighten some things out here Oh, no,
0: literally yeah like <laughs> there she's known as the um Oh, God, there actually was a name for her. But anyway, she's like the most bloodthirsty <laughs> Avatar. She's not a brave <laughs> yellow motherfucker. Um, and, you know, the Avatar, obviously, their role is to be a peacekeeper. And in her, I guess, stories, she... <laughs> I, I haven't read the stories yet. I've only just started the first one. But um, she is very much, like, willing to do whatever it takes, even if that means killing people to procure peace. Like, she's not about to, you know... Do the pacifist airbending way, where like, oh no, we're gonna talk it out. Like, she's like, No, we're not, we're fighting, let's go. <laughs> so well, now I think I'm that's curious. why I...
1: what what kingdom is she from?
0: Oh, she's an earthbender, like that's oh, she's, she's from the earth. Yeah, so the the three avatars that came before Aang are Avatar Kurok, which was she he was a waterbender, mm-hmm. um, avatar Yang Chen, who is another airbender. Uh, Avatar Kyoshi Earthbender, and then Roku's Firebender. Right. Um. So those are, oh, sorry, I said three. That was four avatars. But anyway, those are the four avatars that you'll get to know throughout the series. Um, that mm-hmm. came before Ang, and give him like wisdom and guidance and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, but Roku and Kyoshi are kind of the two main ones. Um, that pop up.
1: It makes sense that she's a an Earthbender. You know, they being in the Earth Kingdom and at odds with other Earthbenders. And I've noticed that the Earthbenders are kind of brutal. Like in general, they're. I'm guessing that explains their kind of rocky relationship with the other kingdoms.
0: Oh my god! Not, I said no not
1: to not to soil their good name.
0: Oh, stop it! I'm gonna punch <laughs> you through the screen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, no, no. They are like they stand their ground. They are incredibly like you head on. Like they are not afraid. Like I said, they're not afraid to fight.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um whereas airbenders, you know, they they don't fight. Waterbenders, they try to avoid conflict, kind of like how they stay in the North and the South Pole. Yeah. Um, relatively untouched by the war, relatively. Um, but Earthbenders, there's a reason that the Earth Kingdom has stood the test of those hundred years of war because they are so, you know, they have so many people and they have such a great military force. And like so yeah it, it makes sense that those two the fire nation the earth uh kingdom would be kind of the last two giant thresholds basically yeah. left
1: you could um, say that they're rock solid
0: i'm literally <laughs> going to stop it <laughs> i have to I'm get it out of my
1: system it. i have to
0: Ugh. so anyway <laughs> um so yeah I, I love kiyoshi's appearance um not just her appearance in this episode, but just, like, the way she looks. I love the makeup and the, you know, the fans and the robes and everything. I think she looks awesome. Um, And I love (laughs) that. Honestly, okay, this is something that I want to talk about because the humor in this episode, I find it very funny. Like, it's not one of the, like, funniest episodes, but I think that the humor is actually pretty funny in this episode. Um, Again, a lot of it has to do with the subversive nature of the jokes. Because, like, one of my favorites is... When Aang is basically put in jail, because um, they say, I'm trying to remember. Um, you know, he's like, you have to pay bail in order to get out of jail. Oh, and and how like, was I
1: supposed to know they wouldn't take water? Uh, water tribe money. <laughs>
0: and then he's just like all right no problem <laughs> he immediately ends up in jail <laughs> and guitar and stuff are just like standing there like good god
1: or how, or how about where he winds up with a big tough big bald tough. tattooed prisoner and then they're having like this heart to heart like wholesome prison talk which just like it's just men supporting men and he's like talk to her share how you really feel and of course further subverting it by ang taking literally his head and hands out of his little block and just leaning on it
0: Right, yes. I love that joke that, like, nothing can contain Aang. Like, he just, every time he's captured, he always manages to, like, get out without struggle. Like, um, it's very funny, and I do like that. Um, I always have a soft spot for, like, subversive takes on especially men characters where they look like they're going to be really big and scary and mean and they turn out to be total sweethearts like that's i love that trope
1: remind, uh, okay that that would explain why you enjoy the movie tangled so much where they go to the snuggly duckling and he the, the guy was up at the axe up to rapunzel and he's just like oh, "I had has a dream once <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes i love that movie oh my god yeah yes. no, no it's, it's, great. it's great so i love all that um i love the wheel of torture i think that that's very funny i don't know if you stopped to like read any of them but they're very funny i did um, and... i
1: did look at a lot of them yes i love <laughs> the one of him just like jumping down into like a pit of spikes and just like yeah
0: right. yep um when when they spin the wheel and guitarists like freaking out community service please get community service (laughs) like that's just great line delivery and then I actually really enjoy the the fight scene at the end um with the rough rhinos and like Aang in the Kyoshi makeup and with the fans and everything like I love him using the airbending through the fans like she did um and you know it's just it's a fun little episode although it wraps up really fast you're like
1: oh yeah we've done an amazing job of shining up this episode by like pointing out all the great things the deep (laughs) lessons the the amazing subversiveness of the plot and and of course padding it very deeply with with earth kingdom puns but um but the episode like is very jarring in tone where it goes from really wacky to really serious Mm kind of kind of unlikably so it has really good stuff in it it's just the episode is so just all over the place
0: yeah yeah no absolutely and i and like i said we've been talking about the good stuff or i've been talking about the good stuff but i mean i have too yeah no it's definitely not my favorite episode um and like i said it feels more like a season one episode which i don't mean that as a diss it just it feels like a one-off whereas the rest of the season feels pretty coherent and like one one story. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Any other thoughts on this one?
1: Um, no, I mean, I think we pretty much wrapped the whole thing up pretty good. Um, all things considered, I'd say that I'd I'd rate this episode. See, it's hard because there's some good stuff in it. The episode, like I said, is just, you know, consistency and tone is something that I always appreciate when I'm getting yanked back and forth between wacky comedy and, like, deathly serious situations. I'm just like, mm. um, But it does have a lot of good, fun stuff in it. Uh, is it for sure one of those lower tier ones that like, I I wouldn't say I'd skip this one, but it definitely wouldn't be my favorite one. Um, still, though, uh, I don't feel like totally dissing it. Uh, I feel like on my own scale of how I've been rating things, this one probably falls around a 6.8, maybe a 6.9 for me.
0: Not too bad, not too bad. Um, I would it's probably... Not,
1: it's, it's not a bad episode. It's just not great. It's just kind of like you said, it's kind of it's one of those kind of average almost fillery kind of episodes because it has a plot that everything in the plot pops up and then disappears right away resolves by the end and so you're kind of like what did this have to do with the larger plot but there are things that like Zuko and like Kyoshi, that do continue you know to build the avatar lore
0: yeah um yeah, honestly, I think that I would probably give this a 7 out of 10, um, pretty much for everything that you just said. Like, it's fine. It's kind of a middle-tier episode. Um, I wouldn't skip this one, but it within the grand scheme of the story of Season 2, I think that it is definitely filler, um, you know, in terms of just the story itself, not necessarily the world-building or anything. Um, so, yeah, I'd give it a solid 7. It's not too bad, but not one that I would, like... Rewatch a hundred times, like I have some other episodes.
1: <laughs> also, actually, you got extra points for Sokka getting his his boomerang back. Yes, we love. Boomerang. I was so sad. I thought that maybe he would actually lose it. What, I, what can I say? A Water Tribe warrior's boomerang deserves more respect.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> With uh-huh. that. Uh, our next episode is episode six of season two, the blind bandit boy, boy, has this one been like talked up for like, but since before we started this podcast, you're like, oh yeah. And then they meet Toth and I'm like, okay, when does that happen?
0: Halfway through season two.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The episode, uh, episode six, of The Blind Bandit is written by Michael Dante DiMartino. Of course, the show creator would want his hands right on this one. The introduction of oh, a major God. character. Uh, it's directed by Ethan Spaulding, who another name that I do recognize, I believe, from at least one other episode in the past. Ethan Spaulding. He directed Return to Omashu.
0: Ah, there we go.
1: You know, he he directed the the some big fight stuff with the new the new characters, the uh the uh what are they what are they called? The angels?
0: Ozai's Angels.
1: Right, Ozai's Angels. So yeah, so it seems like when they need proper introductions for major characters, that they call an Ethan and he it doesn't let us down. The episode is animated by JM Animation. Uh the episode aired on May 5th, 2006. Yay are you are you in demand over there
0: (laughs) god shut up are those are those
1: are those your fans the fans beating down your instant messages just begging for the next podcast episode
0: it's my r flag means death friend (laughs) you're asking about this costume that i'm putting together anyway
1: and the imdb rating for the blind bandit is oh you were right about the imdb ratings 9.1 out of 10 wow Mm -hmm. a sensational score for a very very iconic timeless episode
0: all right so i've got actually a couple fun facts for this one these are probably my favorite fun facts that i've i've found so far Um, and i knew there were going to be a lot because this episode is like one of the highest ranked um so the boulder was originally going to be voiced by dwayne johnson and was based on his wrestling persona the rock i'm sure you picked up on that
1: yeah definitely picked up on it i uh i didn't know that he was originally going to be voiced by him was that just like a wish list like we'd like him or was he actually like set up to do it and then he wasn't for some reason
0: i think that they wanted him to do it and like i said they obviously based the look and the character off of him but i for one reason or another he didn't like he didn't do it i'm sure that he regrets that now but <laughs> he was. Too hey when, or... they,
1: when they do the avatar show maybe he can come in and, and reprise true. the role
0: Live action version. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if he was actually going to do it or not, or if it was just a kind of wish list kind of thing like, oh, we'd love to have him do it.
1: Dwayne Johnson, but, uh, come on the show and let us know.
0: Yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> um, maybe his kids watch Avatar. I don't know. Um, so, this was the first episode to use the previously on Avatar teaser heard in all subsequent episodes. I don't know if you've noticed that um but this the what am i saying (laughs) the previously on avatar is like when they do the recap of the previous episodes um and for me this is like an iconic part of the show i don't know if you watch the recaps every time that you watch the new episode okay so you're going to notice this is going to be throughout the rest of them because for me the having roku say previously on avatar it's like part of the show um it's one of those iconic things kind of like the opening credits and
1: uh oh yeah it takes me it takes me back to my dragon ball z days because every dragon ball z fan knows the last time on dragon ball z
0: exactly um but it's weird because like as a kid i don't know if they just put them on nick for all the episodes but I could have sworn that every episode had the previously on avatar, but I guess not. I guess that like, it must be, I don't know if it's just on ne- on Netflix or what, but yeah, that's crazy to me. Is,
1: is this a Mandela effect thing? Like
0: it, it must be because I could have sworn that this previously on avatar was on every episode except for obviously the, the first episode. Um, but I guess not, which really shook me. So <laughs> anyway, uh, so just keep an eye out for that. Um, this episode originally had the protagonist asking the opulent cities, citizens of the earth kingdom town where the underground earthbending tournament was being held the citizens would have denied the existence of such a tournament only to only to appear later in the episode as tournament attendees having regarded the matches as guilty pleasures i think that that's really funny <laughs> like i'm kind of sad that they didn't do that
1: <laughs> well yeah no that is kind of cool i mean as much as i loved katara just like destroying those two you know bratty bratty earth kingdom you know trainees to get the information out of them if everybody in the town was rich it would kind of like scene set a little better where exactly they are that this is like a really big aristocratic community where you can afford to everyone you know the the minivans pull up and they drop their kids off at taekwondo over here to learn earthbending and they go they wave goodbye to go play tennis and have tea later like you would have set it up a little bit more up now because otherwise we're just under the impression that toss family is like the one big rich family in town
0: I don't know. I think it still would have been really funny and like kind of true to life that like people that look down on certain things actually end up being super into those things. (laughs) Like,
1: Oh yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm saying that like, it would have been kind of cool if they would have built up that all the citizens were rich and not just drop later. Oh, her family's super rich.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then our final fun fact, this was actually something that was done on the, um, there's a documentary about the making of avatar, uh, called Spirits, which highly recommend. It's fantastic, although we'll watch it at the end of the series because it spoils everything. Um, but uh, Toph's very specialized earthbending style is based off the rare southern May- praying mantis style of kung fu. It is believed that this obscure form of kung fu was created by blind warriors living on a remote island, which fits perfectly with Toph's character. So... This is like super interesting to me because in the video, when they're explaining how they created Toph's style um, of bending, which is very different from the usual hungar style, which is usually tiger and crane um, for the Kung Fu, this praying mantis style, like I said, it was developed by blind warriors. And the way that they hold their stance is like, you guys can't see it, but it's, it's kind of praying mantis. Like they hold their hands out in front of them um, and it's, oh gosh, I can't even explain it. Cause the video is just so cool showing how you're able to fight without having to look like if your opponent attacks you, you don't have to be looking at them to fight back just like Toph doesn't. And it's, it's so fascinating. And it just shows like the level of like creativity and like real world influence that they draw for all these different styles and, you know, just the, the world itself of Avatar, yeah. um, and yeah, it's it's really fascinating. I'm not doing it justice, but
1: no, it is it is awesome. Um, you know, I've mentioned at least once before that I studied uh, Shaolin Kung Fu, and the Hark Fu Moon, the Tiger Style, is one of the one of the disciplines that I actually myself push myself to get familiar with. Um, also, Crane Style as well, Wing Chun Kuen, and the Shaolin Kung Fu is just it's an incredible incredible branch of the tree that is the martial arts everything from the philosophies to just the physical and mental discipline of it um, but i was I, I was never able to get any sort of mastery in manta style just a very superficial familiarity with the poses and more importantly the footwork which i actually recognized and was something i did try to work into my own martial arts so yeah i was full respect to toff i was like hey i learned that stance i know i know what you're doing
0: all right well that's it for our fun facts um so what'd you think of this episode i've been waiting to hear your action because it's <laughs> kind of a really big episode
1: so so i'm gonna get i'm gonna address sort of what for myself has been an elephant waiting in the room for myself which is how do you like toff because she's a fan favorite and when there's an expectation sometimes on you it's like okay i really hope i really do like this character because if they're a fan favorite and i wind up not liking them or if i find them annoying or something that's going to be a problem i'm i'm going to be in big trouble um i had a little bit of familiarity with the character of Toph uh before before ever watching the show one of the very few things that i knew i was like there's there's some girl who wears green in the show and i know that she's blind and really sarcastic and I, i was kind of dreading tough because i tend not to like like really mouthy kid characters in shows i tend to find them super grating and when i realized that it was her in this episode of course foreshadowed by the whole swamp episode before yeah. i was starting to sweat and so i stopped and i was like okay i did that thing you know that i do where i'm like i just clear the expectations away and i go okay and i'll tell you something i actually did didn't like her at very first. But it's the whole aspect of her family situation and that she has real, like, the, they tempered her character right away with having a soft, sensitive side. This weakness for her family where she's, you know, feels held back and feels like she's hidden away. And she, it's a really complex thing they tackled with her and I'm sure you'll have your own commentary on it, but just to kind of open up the subject, they opened up this very complex subject and matter of her parents are being protective, but they're also smothering her. And so she has this very millennial trend of forming a sort of a secret life for herself that her parents aren't aware of, It's a huge millennial trend for us all. to have super overprotective parents and we all lived like that double life where we went places and did things with our friends. And for all intents, we're kind of a different person than our parents really knew of because we needed some outlet. We needed to be ourselves. And like, I could see where that would be super relatable to the audience, but at the same time, it's not like we don't care about our parents and the fact that she's just there, like just crushed over the conflict of, what to do with with her parents yeah. and what to tell them
0: yeah <laughs> i mean kind of nailed it um you know i so so you initially didn't care for her but you warmed up to her as the episode went along like is that the impression i'm getting
1: yeah because the entire conflict the fact that they provided that sensitive side to to what seemed like this very hard shell tough sarcastic exterior it kind of immediately programmed into my understanding of the character that there's a lot of i don't want to say that her like rough sarcastic exterior is a facade that is fake but i think that it's a channel a way of protecting herself that she's so vulnerable that she just you know she's that person who will walk up to her best friend instead of hugging them she punches them in the arm she's she genuinely cares about them she's not but she's punching them in a caring way
0: that's literally so funny you mentioned that because she actually does do that. <laughs> she even mentions it, that in an episode. She's like, that's how I show affection.
1: <laughs> big Scorpio energy.
0: Yeah, literally. Um, yeah, so as, as I've told you, Toph is a fan favorite character and she remains so throughout the entire series. But for me, you know, I love all the characters in Avatar, genuinely. Like, it's crazy how complex and deep even minor characters are. But out of the main out of the main gang, um, she's my least favorite, just because what you see here, like what she is now is what she remains for the entire series. There is no real arc <laughs> with her, um, which is fine because we're already halfway through the show. Like that's the thing. So she doesn't need this giant arc. She, you know, she has this drama with her parents and like this kind of double life that she's living. And she has been sheltered away from the world and now she wants to go out and explore it in this, you know, with this new group of people and friends that she's made. And that's about the the extent of her depth. She is the most shallow out of all of the main characters, um, which to me you know isn't a problem it just it makes her not as compelling as say someone like Sokka or Zuko or Katara like these characters that have true arcs and depth and just like change over the course of the series she does not um
1: so what so you see is what so you see with her so there's no there's no journey of tofts that we're seeing or we, we should anticipate or that I should anticipate with her beyond basically this all the complexity and sophistication and the depths of who she is this is as far as it goes we've got it already it's in her backstory
0: yeah pretty much um you know she's got like physical obstacles that she has to overcome with her bending and things like that yeah. and you know being blind which they do not ignore throughout the series like yeah she is super attuned to like the world around her but she can't see when she's in the air which they are a lot because they ride up of. um You know, she cannot bend metal. She cannot... So there are things that inhibit her that she mentally and physically has to overcome. But in terms of, like, character arc, yeah, no, this is about as deep as it gets. Um, She's just got a lot of parent issues, like, mommy and daddy issues. Um,
1: (laughs) Well, given that, she would be the third character that we have now that has mommy or daddy issues here.
0: She's got both. Like I think that you know, Katara obviously has mommy issues because she is just so hung up on the death of her mother and rightfully so. I mean, it's terrible. Um, Sokka's got daddy issues because he's trying to live up to the, you know, the image of his father and like being the best tribe leader and all that fun stuff. Zuko, obviously.
1: <laughs> Zuko and Zula.
0: Yeah, Zuko and Zula have both. <laughs> they both have like severe mommy and daddy issues, which we will get to. Oh boy, will we get to that the next episode? Um, but, oh, okay then. You know? oh get ready it's it's about to go down (laughs) um uh, the gang is
1: the gang is in therapy here in in season two (laughs) but like there's no therapists we just locked them all in a room and let them take out their issues on each other i see
0: literally i think that so much of the world's problems in this in this universe would be solved if people just went to therapy uh, because they have (laughs) a lot of issues and they're so young they don't know how to deal with it
1: <laughs> okay, well no, and especially my favorite thing is like when Toph is there and she's like, I'm twelve years old. And I was like, kid, you're twelve? You look like you're eight. Uh,
0: right. Yeah. No, and that's the thing is that her and Aang are the same age. Well, you know, Aang is supposed to be twelve. Um yeah. so like I think that their friendship is really something that's very sweet and endearing um throughout the show. And I like that at first it kind of starts like not necessarily like arch nemesis or rivals or whatever, but just kind of like I don't know what the word would be, but they just they don't get along at first. They <laughs> like, they
1: bicker for yeah. sure in this episode. They definitely butt heads.
0: Yeah, and I think it is because that they are natural opposites. You know, Earth is very stable and grounding, whereas air is very flighty and free and. You know that that kind of clash of philosophies is shown very well in not this episode, well in this episode and in the future um, when she actually starts to train him to bend. Um, okay, so, that... okay,
1: okay. so so I have I have I want to return back real quick to the whole issue of her not developing through the series. And so I want to put it to you to get your opinion on this. You're halfway through season two of a three season show. There's a lot behind you, but there's still a lot in front of you. And you've decided to add another character permanently to the core group of heroes. If this was your project and you were doing that, is it worth your time to make a character and have them on a journey that will develop along with all the other characters that you've introduced? Or is it enough to set up a character to have some built-in complexity just in their origin and then just leave it at that like in general what's your thoughts on it do you think that like you kind of wish in hindsight that they did something different with Toph? what do you think
0: oh that's a good question and honestly because she's probably my least favorite out of the main group i haven't really thought about it but i think that she is a well a well enough defined character and like kind of crazy to me because as I've been re-watching like I'm already ahead in season two because I just can't stop watching it um and like as I'm re-watching season two I'm almost done with it and I'm like I feel like Toph has been here the entire time like the way she so perfectly gets integrated with the team despite there being some friction at first like it really feels like wow I can't believe that we went almost two or almost uh season and a half without her being in here because She just fits so well into the dynamic and into the group. Um, And so I don't know if I would change anything. Like, I don't think that every character needs to be super, like, deep and complex and, like, have arcs, sometimes multiple arcs. Um, I don't think that that needs to be the case. It's just when you have the majority of your characters that do have super deep layers and complexity and have these arcs, and then you have Toph, who just kind of comes in as she is. And never really changes that's just where i think that it it's it stands out to me as a writer you know i'm like huh she's just kind of here and she's just doing her thing and like that's totally fine because it works um for the her type of character um
1: well you're speaking in hindsight of having seen the show you know multiple times and so you know here i'm i'm asking you for the the uh the tangible part of what for me is still yet to yet to be seen but, I mean, I can see that, I can see that, and I'm sure I'll see it more just in the actual episodes, but I can see that in theory, where if you have a group of already very dynamic characters that have a very dynamic journey, if you're introducing a character that has their own journey, and they're changing constantly as they're growing and going through things, it can kind of disrupt the chemistry of the group. Whereas if you have a more stable character that these other changing characters, the growing characters of Katara and Sokka and Aang, can m- just maneuver around and she is the, I swear this was not a planned upon, but a grounding point for them. Can you forgive me for that one?
0: I, I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs>
1: as a grounding point for otherwise the rest of the group being very dynamic and very fluid in the way their characters are it can really enhance the group after all um in star wars one of the most beloved characters of all he has virtually no arc of any kind chewbacca (laughs) and yet we love him
0: right Toph is Chewbacca confirmed.
1: <laughs> Toph is Chewbacca. I I I was laughing to myself though about Toph before we get into like the uh, rest of the actual episode events. um I did further endear her though a little bit to myself because as I'm watching her powers, which I thought was amazing, the visual thing of like the waves through the ground connecting to her and then her like responding out from herself with the waves of her earth bending. I was like, she's Daredevil, but with dirt. She's Dirt Devil.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I... And there actually is a name for that. Um, It's her seismic sense. That's how she's able to sense where everything is around her, the people, the objects. Like, she uses her feet as eyes, basically, and she feels the vibrations within the earth. And I think that's a really creative way to kind of get around her blindness. Like, it... It's so amazing that they were able to take this character that is truly disabled but it's almost like her disability becomes a superpower kind of like Daredevil you know yeah
1: yeah where he has the echolocation where the sound rebounds to him and it sort of builds this like idea in his head of what all of his surroundings are based on how far the sound is is traveling and what it sounds like when it comes back to him so
0: yeah. And I've, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I've always had a thing for blind characters. I don't know why. I just find blind characters very cool and interesting. Um, and Toph was probably part of the reason for that. Cause you know, she was one of the first blind characters I was ever introduced to as a kid. And I just thought it was so cool. Like the way that she was able to sense everything around her and like, you know, but it still could be um, debilitating. Is that the right word? <laughs> debilitating? <laughs> I feel like that's not the right word. Anyway, it could still be difficult for her to function in certain atmospheres or like situations, you know. Um, so it it was very, very cool. And they are not afraid to make blind jokes, which I love. <laughs> some of my favorite jokes in the show are blind jokes at Toss' expense. And it's so funny. And I hate laughing, but oh my God, they crack me up.
1: You know, when we approach these things as people who... You know don't have any disabilities ourselves any physical ones anyway um that like you know we can tiptoe we can tiptoe because we're afraid to offend but you know but there's all kinds of people that i know personally and i'm not saying like oh i know a person that's like this therefore it's okay but i'm just giving testament that i've seen lots of people who deal with their disabilities with the ability to laugh at themselves with you know you don't have to you know they're like okay so somebody who's in a wheelchair they're like yeah you don't have to pretend and not mention that i'm in a wheelchair i'm in a wheelchair you know like i can't walk and you know right. and they own it and they make all kind of jokes to themselves about it and the fact that they do that i think can even be an encouragement in its own way for people to be able to find humor in their situations i mean i find humor in just the everyday struggles that i have without having a disability so i mean it shows a lot of it shows a lot of acknowledgement to that attitude to be able to laugh at yourself for whatever the reason
0: oh yeah for sure and like this is the first of many but i love the joke with uh sokka throwing down the belt to her and she can't see it because it's not on the (laughs) ground and it just knocks her out like again that's a very fun not only is that a funny joke but it also shows that she has limitations to her abilities and like you know, it's a very smart but funny way to show that. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, I I do love the way that they kind of present the disability of her blindness and the way that they do her powers and all that. So um, let's talk more about the rest of the episode though, because so, there's actually to talk so, about. So
1: so a huge part of the episode that I enjoyed is um, toxic fanboy Saka.
0: Like, this episode is freaking hilarious.
1: The whole episode is great, so funny. Everything from Katara just owning the kids at the academy to just the whole tournament, which by the way, I loved as a fan of Dragon Ball Z, like arena level tiered tournament fighting, just in any way is just incredible. I've I felt like I was back watching a martial arts tournament with Goku and Cell. I was just like,
0: yeah, yeah I Sokka's commentary throughout the entire fight at the Earth Rumble 6 had me dying. It does every time I watch it. You know, the, go back to the Fire Nation! <laughs> <laughs> that, and just the, no talking!
1: Chicago so Chicago is a huge sports town and between the Bears games and the Cubs and Sox here, um, we know quite a bit about uh screaming things from the fan from the stands. Uh <laughs> yeah, we're very vocal at our sports venues, so relatable.
0: Right. And then Qatar is literally me. She's like, oh god, I don't want to be here. <laughs> this is just gonna be a <laughs> bunch of guys throwing rocks at each other. Like literally, that is me. I felt that in my soul. <laughs>
1: yeah no the whole tournament was great um and i and like i said like the, the the episode flowed really well, you know, in contrast to the previous episode, where the shifts in tone um between it it's a wacky scene and a wacky situation versus a serious scene and a serious situation this episode really though highlights how you include all that humor and i mean plenty of other episodes do this too but you know in contrast since we just watched the other one you know you see um a serious situation like there's a lot at stake but it's not a gravely serious situation and you can have one character like Sokka who's like really in a really silly hilarious way just just he's the humor character here laughing and screaming and he's cheering and crying when his guy loses and you have kind of semi-comedic like fighting between the the earthbenders. It's cool, but it's also kind of funny. Their their antics and their personas. Fire Fire Nation man, and he's like got a, a the Russian accent and the red flag, and he has this Fire Nation anthem, which who knows if that's even a real anthem or not, or just propaganda, Christ. Dirt Kingdom propaganda.
0: Yeah, no, it's. <laughs> I'm literally thinking about Saga's line. Going! Avenge the boulder! Avenge the boulder! Literally, every line out of his mouth in this episode is pure gold to me. Uh, oh, not to mention the iconic. Like, this is one of those iconic lines, kind of like the uh, cabbage merchant, but the water tribe.
1: Yes, I've like, seen that in a million wow. things since I've since I've started watching, and I'm like looking at, at at some fan stuff online, and I'm kind of mingling on on Facebook groups and things like that. I'm seeing like that gif of him just like water tribe. I right. see it all the time.
0: <laughs> yep, <laughs> it is iconic. Um, and uh, oh, like <laughs> literally, I'm every line. I swear. Um, when Top and Ang are taken and they have the ransom note. He's reading it. And he's just like, I can't believe it. I have the boulders up. <laughs> <been so> <laughs> like Fuck
1: it, stop. Yeah, no, like it was. It was great. Then just use that recurring joke of what a giant fan he is. It was just. It was. It was gold. I like he's wearing the belt that it matches his bag
0: right now i'm really glad i bought the bag it matches the belt perfectly See, that is the, Ki- the, Ki-
1: yeah. the Kyoshi warriors would be so proud of him seeing what he watching him you know embrace the fashionable side of himself
0: right um and then yeah the kind of a major part of the episode the final part of the episode is the big battle between Toph and all the different earthbenders that she has fought in the tournament um and to me this is up there as one of the best fights so far like I still think that the uh, waterbending master fight between Paku and uh, Katara is the best so far but this is a pretty close second because it's just so creative how she's able to in different ways take out each of these individual fighters and like using their you know kind of earth against them and using her seismic sense and just like it's so creative and I love it it's so different from all the other uh, types of earthbending that we've seen. Not that we've seen a ton, but like you can tell that this is a completely different kind of earthbending that only she has.
1: Well, in the sequences, especially it's especially compelling because not only is it a matter of. Oh, she's blind but it also has a very uh david and goliath sort of setup for it number one she's outnumbered but all these guys i mean they use the fact that they're you know basically parodies of pro wrestlers to emphasize how huge and how muscular and how strong or or, you know they are uh, and and how overwhelming when an overwhelming physical um advantage that they would have over her if this was just a straight fight with no bending obviously um but the fact that their strength and their size has no bearing on their ability to beat her and in some situations to some aspect in the fight it kind of works against them especially if she's able to use their size to like trip the other guys up um, yeah, it really, uh, it really is a great David and Goliath, and it, it it really goes to show how her you know belief in herself and her own ability is mm, conquers conquers mountains. It can even conquer boulders.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. No. I I love the entire fight scene. My, my particular favorite part, though, which it's hard to pick because there's so many great moments, but when um she has three of the benders going up against her at once. And she manages to turn basically the floor to where they end up hitting each other. And I'm just like, that's so creative. Oh my God, I can't stand it. Oh, and like whipping up the cloud of dust to like, you know, make it harder, basically to bring them to her level where they can't see. exactly. Yes. And just, oh, it's, it's so good. And using like building a kind of, I guess a uh, tent out of earth and then shooting out the pieces and, as protection, but also as projectiles. I'm like, that's so creative. I can't, oh gosh, we haven't seen creative bending like that since the bending fight between Katara and Paku, which I think is why they're two of my favorite fights so far. Um,
1: you really do like these fights when it's two adepts with the same element going against each other and not different elements. Don't you? You really like that.
0: I I do, because it it forces you to get creative, because if you're just showing the same element being thrown the same way or being like, you know, whatever, that can get really boring. You have to get creative when it's the same element.
1: Yeah. Otherwise, uh, any other elements blending is almost like rock, paper, scissors. We know in a lot of situations, you know, one kind of has an advantage over the other. I mean, fire is dangerous, but water's always going to wind up beating fire in most situations.
0: Right. So Yeah. And visually, it just looks different. So you got to you got to get really creative with these, you know, one on one same bending battles. And I think that they totally nail it with this one. Um, <laughs> I since kind of going back backtracking real quick to the humor, just because like, I swear, this is like one of the funniest episodes of the show for me. Um, literally every joke hits for me. But this is another one where it's a subversive kind of like the Avatar Day jokes. This is a subversive uh, joke where after Aang and Katara get uh, taken, you know, Toph's mom is, like, freaking out. She's like, oh, my God, Toph, she must be so scared. And it immediately smash cuts to Toph. She's like, you think you're so tough? Why don't you come up here so I can smack that smile off your face? <laughs> She's like, I'm not smiling. <laughs> it's just, like, perfect. It perfectly shows, again, it's a perfect way to show, like, her character, but also be funny, you know? Like, she is not afraid oh my gosh. She...
1: i just realized when he repeated the line that she wouldn't know whether he was smiling or not because she's blind
0: <laughs> and she's off the ground i yes. just got that yep. there's a lot of those like kind of subtle blind jokes thrown in i love that's,
1: it that's great that's great yeah. Yeah, no, the episode really really kind of has everything um and i think i mean it justifies why it has such a high rating um the the episode has a great introduction to the new character the dirt devil um it has lots of new humor that does that that is integrated into all the scenes um it's got you know sensitive and emotional you know parts of it in her origin and a real character struggle that we're introduced to it's got wicked fight scenes it's got cool bending um i mean and and the story is great because it doesn't try to jam pack a lot into it it develops how they get there really quickly at the start of the episode cuts all the fat out of it and just goes straight to we know that we need to go to this tournament for this reason and in like five minutes we're there And then a ton of time is spent in the tournament and on Toff's situation at home. And that's like, the pacing is just wonderful. Um... So yeah no i mean that the episode has, has got a lot of everything it does everything extremely well it's uh it's beautiful to look at like i actually went back part of the reason that it took me a little longer on this one was that final fight scene with toff and everybody else i actually rewound it back and watched it a second time because when it was over i was like that was so cool i have to go back and watch a little more sorry man i'm gonna be a little bit late
0: Right. It's so good. Yeah.
1: I uh yeah, it, it just lumped it on with everything you had to forgive me for during this episode. So yeah. I'm gonna give it a strong I'm gonna give it a strong 8.8 8 out of 10.
0: Ooh, interesting. I think that I'm gonna give it a solid nine out of ten because I feel like if this was if Toph was a character that had a bit more growth and development just in hindsight, I think that I would have liked this even more. Um, but because she kind of just comes in as she is, um, it's great. Like we get her immediately. There's no, you know, what you see is what you get with her as a character. And so that's great. Uh, especially since she's introduced so late in the show, but, um, yeah, I think that for all the reasons that you said, the, you know, the amazing pacing, the introduction of Toph, uh, her bending, the final battle, the humor is fantastic. Um, it's just a really solid episode so I, I definitely would give it a nine out of ten overall
1: nice yeah the gang is all coming together we've got the the dirt devil's been added to the gang between the avatar angzilla and uh, of course the water tribe
0: <laughs> all right now we've only got one more member who could it possibly I be
1: wonder who could it possibly <laughs> be obviously it's gonna be uncle iroh <laughs> so, oh yeah no he's the <laughs> he's only one left, left.
0: Plot
1: twist! It's a <laughs> It's Azula. A
0: huge plot twist. <laughs> uh,
1: no, but you've been teasing an awful lot about you know these these episodes, and of course the again since the start of the podcast, since we started watching, uh, that Toph's introduction would be coming later here in season two, um, and so I'm what I'm really interested in is how all the new characters are going to combine with these, the existing group. Especially now that, at least for the moment, uh, I don't know when the Zuko and Iroh stuff is going to reconnect with the main group. It hasn't since, like, what, like a second episode? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I'm interested to see how all the new characters are going to mix. Because, I mean, the bad guys sure got a lot of new firepower with, you know, uh, the the Azula and uh, Ozai's angels. But, but so... But now we have Toph on our side, and she's the the dirt bending dynamo. So, like the scales are going to be very differently balanced, especially with Toph teaching Ang earth bending. So, like the 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 dynamic when these groups meet is going to look very different from now on. So, oh for sure, <laughs> oh yeah, can't wait.
0: That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff.
1: You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.